This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Campbell Soup Company. Imagine being able to go into a, a, a restaurant and know what foods are the best choice for you on any menu across the country, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things that I think we're going to end up seeing in the future. This is Uncanned, a podcast where we ask the tough questions about food. I'm your host, Dana Bialik. And lately, it's hard not to notice some of the food choices people are making. Superfoods, organics, food delivery services. Is this the future of food? And that's the question we're uncanning in this episode. The choices we're making in food are changing in a huge way. And I've been wondering, what role does technology play in all of this? To answer this, we're diving into the heart of the food tech revolution and visiting a place where innovation thrives, in Oakland, California. Yeah, so we're at Habit's headquarters. We're in Jack London Square in Oakland, California. That's Neil Grimmer. He's the CEO of Habit, a startup that delivers custom nutrition plans based on your biology. The company takes your genetic makeup and figures out how it responds to fats, proteins, and carbs. It may seem like food technology is all about innovating food, but as Neil explains, it's really about uninnovating food. You know, we've been innovating food for the last 50 to 60 years, and we've seen everything from fast food, TV dinners, tang, slim fast in a shake and a bottle. And like, we've innovated our way into a fairly unhealthy population, and I actually think it's time to uninnovate the food but use innovation to find out what foods are right for you and then make it super convenient for you to be able to get them. Neil's wearing black jeans and a black t-shirt, and he's got a full-sleeve tattoo. He looks more like a lead singer of a punk band than an executive. Turns out, back in the 90s, he was a punk rocker, playing in a band that opened for Green Day. After that, he went to art school and worked for many years as a product designer. Neil never expected to become a CEO. He was inspired to start a company when he realized that he wanted to combine his background in design with his passion for health and nutrition. That's what Habit's all about, helping people eat better. We're in service to people in no uncertain terms. We're mission-driven. You know, we're out to change the world of food and, and the world of health for people. How's he doing it? One meal at a time. And it all starts right here, in Habit's headquarters, a warehouse converted into a sleek and open office space. The first thing you see when you walk in is a state-of-the-art kitchen. It's a place for employees to meet and socialize. So it almost feels like you're walking into a cafe or a restaurant rather than a place of business. The atmosphere is laid back. People are encouraged to bring their dogs to work. This is by design. Neil believes that the more flexible and fun the work environment is, the more people will be motivated and contribute. There's even an in-house gym and yoga studio. That's where Neil starts his day. Right now it's lunchtime and there's a yoga class going on. Habit is a lifestyle brand, but it's also a life science company and a tech company. Its workplace embraces that duality. A 12-foot-long window separates the software engineers from the production kitchen. From the office, we can see chefs chopping vegetables. We produce roughly 2,000 meals a week out of this facility. Over through those doors is our loading dock, so all of our raw materials come in there. They get routed through that door. All of the meat and the veggies get prepped, cleaned, 
and then in this main space is where we produce all the food. Each one of those meals is personalized to the consumer. We're looking into a large refrigerator. It's where employees store their habit-designed meals. So for Sarah, she's got a, a Spanish potato omelet. She's got a caramelized banana overnight oats. So these are her breakfast options. She's got a vegetarian barbecue salad back there. This looks really good. So Tommy, he's got a chicken pad thai. Bertha's got potato beets and apple hash. That's a breakfast item. So they're really pretty varied. Habit uses genomics to help people find the food that's right for them. You end up with recommendations that are personalized for your body type. Food is social and communal, and so we, we took all of those and clustered them into seven habit types. These are ways of eating. Mine is, I went through as a protein seeker. We have a balance seeker, which is more like a Mediterranean diet. There's the range seeker who has really the broadest range of flexibility to have higher carbohydrate, higher fat um, diet, all healthy stuff. And uh, there's one that's called the plant seeker, which is a plant-based diet. And so there's seven of these different varieties. And then within that, it's a highly personalized version for you. The first step is to use a test kit to determine your genetic makeup. It comes in the mail and the box opens like a book. It's stamped with a DNA helix graphic that reads, Nutrition Just Got Personal. So you prick your finger with this lancet. It's fairly straightforward and simple to do. And then you drop in this little window, you drop four to five drops of blood. It includes a ready-made high-calorie metabolic shake. You drink this to test your body's response to fats and proteins. Wow, 61 grams of fat. That's right. 26 grams of saturated fat. Yep. And 950 calories, 550 of which are from fat. Yep. Yeah. So this is literally like Tough Mudder for your metabolism. And what we do with after you uh, drink this shake, we then take your blood two more times, 30 minutes afterwards, and then a total of two hours afterwards. And, uh, and then all of that gets um, packed up, shipped to the lab. And then about four weeks later, you get your personalized dashboard. The whole package looks more like an Apple product than a medical test. You see, design is important. As Neil says, lifestyle change is hard. At the end of the day, we're creating a lifestyle brand, and we want to inspire people to make a healthy choice. And that means one of our brand tenants is seduction, which is like every experience at Habit should seduce you into the healthy choice, not an unhealthy choice. Neil's first startup food company. Back in 2007, he co-founded Plum Organics. Plum became one of the fastest growing food companies in America, going from zero to 80 million in sales in just six years. And it all started in Neil's home kitchen for his children, Paxton and Izzy. All of a sudden, my wife and I were packing healthy lunch boxes, you know, first thing in the morning for Paxton at daycare and then bacon squash at 10 o'clock at night for Izzy for her baby food. And, uh, there had to be a better way. Neil began tinkering in their kitchen, pureeing vegetables into applesauce. He experimented with putting it in a squeeze pouch. This led to a product that totally transformed the baby food market. We had, you know, spinach, kale, purple carrots, quinoa, all blended together, Greek yogurt into a little spouted pouch where kids had some of the healthiest food on the market. And then they could actually, at the age of nine months, self-feed themselves. 
The goal for Habit is to go from being a niche product to something that more people can take advantage of. That's how Neil ended up selling Plum Organics to Campbell's Soup Company for $249 million. We realized that now actually to be able to reach you know, every household in the country with the best food for kids, we really did need a partner, a strategic partner to help us do that. And so, you know, when we were deciding whether or not to sell the company, really the calculus was, can we find someone that can actually help us grow and expand this brand in a way that could allow us to achieve that mission? Plum Organics is now one of the largest organic baby food brands in the country. Partnering with Campbell's actually helped make their product more affordable and accessible. This has been one of the coolest parts for Neil. We actually took our values and we we put them smack dab in the center of one of the most iconic food companies in America, right? And so all of a sudden now you start thinking about impact. It's one thing to say, hey, you've got this great entrepreneurial, fast-growing business. But when you can actually help, you know, one of the most iconic food companies in America move in a different direction, that's massive impact. So what was the key to Neil's success with Plum? For one, he stayed committed to quality ingredients, even if they were hard to find, like amaranth, for example, an ancient grain that can be found in Plum's baby food. What we ended up doing, quite frankly, is building longstanding relationships with ingredient suppliers, with farmers. You know, about two years ago, we had the largest sourcer of organic amaranth in the country, which is crazy. When he started Plum, Neil infused his hard work with love. It was really about, like, how do we show up as a business or as an entrepreneur leading with love, right? How does like, how do you make a decision that will ultimately turn into a business decision, but based on what you would do for your family? But Plum's success also meant that at times he had to put the company before his own health. Before starting Plum, Neil was racing Ironman triathlons. But after eight years running the business, he would gained 65 pounds and didn't feel like himself. And then... Two months after Neil sold the company, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. One of our highest highs turned into one of our lowest lows. And um, I literally, is all I could do to show up every day, like pull my boots on, go into work, show up for people at work, show up for my wife at home, and then just kind of keep it together in between the cracks, you know, and it was tough. And it was a moment of, quite frankly, a pause for both of us, which is, Whatever we're doing from a lifestyle standpoint needs to massively change. And in her case, right, she was battling cancer. In my case, I was battling, you know, a fairly unhealthy lifestyle over the last eight years. So the idea for Habit was born because Neil sought to improve his own health. He met Dr. Lee Wright, who is one of the fathers of the Human Genome Project. After taking many tests, he sat down with some specialists and crafted a personalized nutrition plan. He started losing weight, and at the same time, he got his energy back. And that was a huge aha for me to say, like, this is, this is an idea that needs to be connected to everyone in this country. Four years have passed since then, and his wife's cancer is now in remission. Today, Neil is working to ensure that others can figure out what foods help them be healthier and happier. In 10 years, he says, personalized nutrition will be everywhere. 
Look, I mean, I think you're going to get feedback off of your watch every day or your wearable. It may actually be embedded into us on, on all your biometrics, what's going on with your body, and be able to real-time tune in your nutritional needs based on what's happening within your body. And no matter how high-tech or low-tech you want your life to be, he says the bottom line is helping you know what foods are right for you, even when you're shopping at your local grocery store. Probably everyone who's listening to this has probably flipped a product over to look at the nutrition facts label. And in that gesture, you're really asking the question, is this food right for me? And we hope to be able to simplify that question without a doubt and with absolute certainty. And everyone has a role in building towards that. Consumers have far more power than they may even realize in shaping the future of of all the products and services around them, but especially food. Every decision you make at the store, at a restaurant, is a vote for the kind of food you want to have in the world. Talking with Neil and visiting Habit, I came away with hope in the future of food. But I had some more questions, specifically about the intersection of biology and technology, and how exactly food technology is affecting the way we eat. So I called up an expert to find out more. Hi, Britta. This is Dana. Hi, Dana. How are you? Britta Rosenheim is a partner at The Mixing Bowl, a strategic consulting firm focused on agriculture and food technology. She is also an investor at Better Food Ventures, where she supports innovation in the food and agricultural technology sectors. Britta knows a lot about the growing field of food technology. But first, I had to ask, what exactly is food tech? People say food tech, and I think it means a lot of different things. On the one hand, you have technology that's driven by bioscience, and then on the other end, it's driven more by computer science. You know, obviously, there are a number of companies and services that kind of sit in between the two of those. On the biotech side, you have cellular agriculture, you know, which grows meats or dairy from animal cells and petri dishes, or you have genetics and nanotech that are focused on plants or seeds or the microbiome of the soil or animals, or you also have alternative foods like Hampton Creek or Soylent that are trying to hack the traditional consumer packaged goods category. And then on the other side, you have innovations that are driven primarily by computer science, which you know, it's still quite broad, but it looks at technologies that are impacting farming or animal health and food producers, you know, kind of at the beginning of the food supply chain, all the way through logistics and technologies that are impacting grocery retail or restaurants. You have technologies that are impacting digital commerce or marketing or media, and you see that all along the consumer internet category. And then technologies, both software and hardware, that are enabling the connected kitchen, which is kind of an interesting category that's connecting all of these pieces. And then you also have technologies across this board that are looking at health and wellness. So I think, obviously, there's lots of subcategories there as well. But, um, you know, kind of as you think about what is food tech, you know, there's a lot of different categories. So food tech can be anything from genetically engineered meat to a smart appliance in your home. I wondered, where is this drive to bring technology into food coming from? I think everybody's used to 
being able to shop online for whatever they want. And that's absolutely translated to demand and expectations around food. I think what that's led to, though, is you kind of an influx of venture capital funding around last mile and food delivery companies. So we've seen kind of a plethora over the last five years, lots of companies coming and going who have offered us either same day or on demand or you kind of scheduled uh, food delivery. Consumers are, you know, more and more accustomed to having everything immediate at their fingertips and permanent connectivity. And so that has absolutely changed the expectations of the types of insights and information. You know, everything is a Google search away in terms of information. You kind of, why, why isn't that for food? So you see that through, you know, demand for personalization. You see that for demand for online grocery shopping. According to Britta, food is way more complicated than your average product. That makes it harder to innovate. You see, food and food systems are complex. Depending on geography or the specific product, there's a real specific complexity to all the food products. And that's not something that is easily translated to any other industry because of perishability, the nutrition, and, you know, the safety issues related to food. But, you know, there still are tremendous complexities with the food system. And we're at very early stages of, you know, kind of connecting those dots and creating a foundation that allows for personalization and speed in the food system. And so, you know, I think we probably have another five to 10 years before really all those dots get connected. But when that happens, I think there's some really interesting innovation that can, can truly happen. If you, you think of, you know, the, the evolution of the internet, we're finally at a really interesting stage with mobile technologies and interconnectivity that, you know, we're really creating some interesting, mind-blowing, artificial intelligence-driven <laughs> solutions. But, you know, in terms of the food system, I think we're probably, uh, you know, five to 10 years away from, from getting to that level. With multiple visions for the future of food, I wondered about this effort to personalize nutrition, like what we saw at Habit. You know, part of the future of food is being able to feed the masses in, in 50 years from now. The other personalized version of the future of food is the connected IoT kitchen where your refrigerator knows everything that's in it and can tell your stove to turn on and your oven to start roasting the chicken when you're on your way home from work down to the nutrient level of, you know, what type of chicken you're choosing or uh, whether you're, you know, vegetarian or vegan. You know, I don't think that there is one vision for the future of food, but I think all of these components will definitely play a part in even of the food systems of the future. And digital systems will be key. That means being able to track exactly where your food comes from and how it is processed and distributed. In fact, you know, Walmart and a number of other retailers and innovators are looking at how blockchain will help us understand the traceability in the food system and understanding that that steak you know, truly came from this farm and has been handled properly along the way and is, is not past due. And so, you know, there are scholars at UC Davis that are looking at adding semantic technology into, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, kind of natural language understanding of text and input to understand and comprehend food indicators along the entire path to purchase. So that's very technical, I, <laughs> I understand. But once you actually have a digital um a digital foundation of, of the, the path to food, you know, all the way from soil to stomach, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do with it. And so I do think that that will be the future 
to an extent because, you know, with that knowledge, you, you can make better decisions. What will that completely dictate, you know, every bite we eat? I think that depends on, you know, on, on whether we have a, a major food crisis and, and food shortage and, and we're required to eat that way. Short of that, I think this will be just an additional data point and additional knowledge that, you know, people can make better decisions around what they're eating. And even for those who can't afford to subscribe to a service like Habit, Britta believes many food tech innovations will bring more choices and higher quality foods to everyone. You know, I do think the insights that are being learned are broadly getting applied across the board to, you know, general food products. You see, you know, just in terms of trends of how consumers are eating, you know, the millennial demographic is largely, you know, kind of turning their nose up at the center of the grocery store, which is where a lot of the consumer package goods uh, players, you know, kind of where they uh, have made most of the, their money and have focused most of their efforts. So, you know, kind of the rim of the grocery store where the, a lot of the fresh foods are, you know, have been you know, kind of primarily where the millennials have been focused. And so I think, you know, as you have more and more companies like Nestle or, you know, Campbell's or Kraft making investments in these food tech solutions that, you know, may be for a select few. There's a lot of insights and learning that they're garnering that they're now applying to, you know, their broader food products. And so you're slowly but surely, and I think, you know, kind of in the near term, more rapidly going to be seeing kind of a shift of just across the board products that you're going to be seeing at the grocery aisle. And entrepreneurs in Oakland and across the country are part of what's making this shift happen. That's it for this episode of Uncanned, a podcast produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Campbell's Soup Company. Vera Carruthers is our lead producer. Production assistance from Leah Campbell, Lily Butler, Michelle Siegel, and me, Dana Bialik. Sound mixing by Jen Munson. Our theme music was composed by Cody Fitzgerald. Special thanks to Neil Grimmer and all the folks at Purpose Generation. Find out more about our show at uncannedbycampbells.com. If you like what you heard, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.